Heavenly Father, may we recognize your presence today. May the Spirit, may your Holy Spirit that dwells within all of us be guiding us and pulling us closer to you. And may you speak to us through your words. We ask this all in your Son's name, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. So is anyone, and I realize that this might not fit the whole audience, but I was trying to think of something. Has anyone seen uh, the original Star Wars trilogy? I mean, this came out in the 80s, so... So does, it, does everyone know the original Star Wars? If you haven't heard, seen it, do you know what we're talking about? Right? I think so. What about... Okay, now this one's a little different. What about Star Trek? Is anyone... I mean, that show was on in the 60s, right? And then they made some movies in the 80s. And I don't know if you knew this, but they actually started making new Star Trek movies probably five or six years ago. Uh, and then, of course, Star Wars has had... They're on their third go-around with these trilogies. And this time it's Disney making it. But what's interesting, if you've watched either the new Star Trek movies or the new Star Wars movies... It's that what the authors and the, and the writers and the directors have chosen to do is to take the old plots and the old storylines and remake them into new movies with new characters and, um, well, sometimes the same characters, but because it's a different, it's a different, um, what's the word for it? It's like a, it's a, time, a totally different um, timeline because of... In Star Trek, they go back in time and change the entire timeline. The story can be retold because everything's different. But it's the same characters and it's the same plot. So with Star Trek, they do this in uh, two of the three movies that have come out, at least. Um, they retell the second one with the same exact characters, but a different story. And then they tell the third one with a different twist to the same idea of humans creating a new planet and making life and and doing something that maybe humans shouldn't do, and then it causes some problems. And then the same with Star Wars. Um, the first two movies that have come out of this new trilogy, if you watch the old ones, I mean, the first one starts, and it has uh, this character that's on a sandy planet, and so on. And then the second one is the same sort of thing. There's a fight on a snow planet. And now these are just scenery, but there's so many things that mirror the first trilogy. So what's interesting is that these writers and directors, these producers, these movie studios, are taking these old story structures and they're retelling the story for a new generation. And they're using themes that old fans would know and they would pick up on and be like, you know what, that's just like what happened in the original movie. I know that. Now what's interesting is that the Bible tends to do this too. The stories in the New Testament and the story of the people of God sometimes seem to share the same plot lines and the stories just retold. Now this becomes very clear when we start to look at um, our gospel reading for today, which is Luke chapter 3, verses 15 through 17. And then uh, 21 through 22. So if you want to open with me 
to Luke chapter 3. We'll start looking. And then your pew Bible, you can follow along on page 891. So if you want to open to that, let's take a look. Luke chapter 3, verses 15 through 17, and then 21 through 22. So while you're turning there, it's important for us to get a handle on the story. Because before we can look at the retelling of the story, we have to understand the first story. So the story begins, the story that we want to look at begins with the people of God in the wilderness. So if you've read Exodus, or if you've seen the story of uh, Joseph in the multicolored coat, um, there's the cartoon version of that, and I think there's musical, all kinds of things. But the story of, uh, not Joseph, but Moses in the Exodus, which there's stories and there's movies about that and there's shows, or um, animation and there's also uh, a movie about that too. So Moses comes and there's the Israelite people in Egypt and they're slaves. And then Moses comes and delivers them and he takes them out of Egypt and then they go and they cross the Red Sea and then they get the Ten Commandments and then they have that gold calf story. And then what happens is that they start to wander in the wilderness and the Jewish people don't trust God. So God says, well, you're going to wander for 40 years until the next generation. They're not, this generation is not going to be able to go into the promised land because you haven't trusted me. So Moses is leading them throughout the wilderness for 40 years. But then if we get to the end of Deuteronomy, we read that Moses goes up onto Mount Nebo, and God shows him the promised land, but he says that you're not able to enter. And there Moses dies. And then Joshua receives the torch of leadership. And then if the book of Joshua is the very next book after Deuteronomy. But what we need to understand is at the point when Moses dies and whenever Joshua takes over, Israel has been waiting for 470 years roughly to return to the promised land. So that's the land that Abraham was promised whenever God said, I'm going to make a great nation and you're going to have this land. So they spent 430 years in Egypt and then another 40 years waiting to get there. So Joshua takes leadership. And now if you read the book of Joshua, the way it's presented is Joshua receives the word from God that he's going to be the new leader. And then God says right away, go and prepare the people to enter the land. So what Joshua does is he goes and he tells the priests and he, and he has the word spread to all of the tribes of Israel. And he says, be ready because we're going to cross into the land. Now there's one barrier for these Israelite people and it's a physical barrier and it's not an insignificant barrier because they, what they would have done is they would have been wandering around and they would have come up on the east side of what is the Dead Sea and the Sea of Galilee and the Jordan River. And they would have needed to cross the Jordan River to the west to enter to the Promised Land. Now the thing about the Jordan River at this time of year was that it was the spring. So there was mountain runoff and then there was lots of water coming down the Jordan River from the, fall, from the winter uh, rains in the region. 
So the Jordan River was at crest. And it was flooded in that area of Palestine. So what God tells the Israelite people to do is to go and wait and then the Ark of the Covenant is carried into these flooded river waters. All right, so don't think about rivers whenever they're in the middle of the summer and they're low. Think about the rivers here in the spring. Whenever they're way over their banks and it's pretty dangerous and there's all kinds of debris that's flying through. This is the river that they entered into. So they go into the waters and then somewhere upstream we're told that the waters get stopped. And then eventually there's no water anymore. It's just dry ground. And then the, the Israelite people go through the Jordan River. And they enter the promised land. And the promise that God had made to them has been, they've been delivered. They have returned to the land they were promised. God has been faithful to them. So that's the story of the Jewish people. Getting into the promised land. So what happens in this passage from Luke is that Jesus, in the story of Jesus, this story is retold. But before we get there, let's remember Jesus' time. So the people were in the land now, but they were no longer free. They were under Roman oppression. They had a foreign government that was in charge of their laws and their law and order. They had to pay tribute to this this government. They had to make agreements so that they could worship in the way they wanted to worship. They had to offer a sacrifice on behalf of the emperor every year in the temple. And eventually this government destroys their temple and says you're no longer able to worship as Jewish people. So this is the, the days they're living in when Jesus comes. So even though the Jewish people are in the land, they're in the promised land, they're still waiting to be delivered. Now, our Isaiah reading captures some of this. So chapter or verse 1 of Isaiah 43 says, Do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by your name. You are mine. And then verse 5 and 6, Do not be afraid, for I am with you. I will bring your children from the east and gather them from the west. I will say to the north, give them up. And to the south, do not hold them back. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth. So they had this, this prophecy, this promise in Isaiah that God was going to return his children to their land. And he had done some of that, but there were still Jews all over that were waiting to return to Jerusalem. And they were still waiting for this promise. And then this is the context for this Luke reading. The people are waiting. They want their Messiah. They want to be rescued. They're waiting for their second Moses to come and deliver them from their oppressors. And then this is how Luke starts his reading, Luke 3, verse 15. He says, The people were waiting expectantly and were wondering in their hearts if John might possibly be the Messiah. So remember, they're waiting, and then this guy, John, shows up in the desert, and they're like, well, maybe he's it. But this is what John answered them. He says, I baptize you with water, but the one who is more powerful than I will come, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. 
He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear the threshing floor and to gather the wheat into the barn. But he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. So John comes onto the scene and people think John might be the Messiah, the new Moses. But John says very quickly, he said, it's not me. There's someone coming after me who you're waiting for. So if we're reading the Gospel of Luke for the very first time, which I understand none of us are, the question that we need to ask ourselves is, well, who is the Messiah that's coming? Because it's not John the Baptist, so who is it? But we already know who the Messiah is. Does anyone want to offer their answer? Who's the Messiah? Jesus, yep, good. We talked about that a lot during Advent, so lots of confidence. So this is how John, or, or Luke, presents the Messiah. And what he does is he's already introduced Jesus. Remember, he's already introduced Jesus in chapter, Luke chapter 2. That's the story that we all know about, the birth narrative. So we know about Jesus if we've read, the, we read Luke so far. We get to chapter 3, and we don't know exactly who Jesus is. But John deci- or Luke decides to tell us who Jesus is with an event. So this is what he says in verse 21 of chapter 3. When all the people were baptized, were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. So John the Baptist, he's in the wilderness and he's baptizing people. And all we're told is that Jesus comes to be baptized by him too. Now it's not the baptism that, that indicates who Jesus is. There was lots of people who were baptized. But it's what happens during Jesus' baptism that's really important for us to notice. So continuing in verse 21 of chapter 3, Luke says, And as he was praying, heaven was opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form, like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. So Jesus is baptized and this is the only gospel that says he was praying. We're not really sure. Maybe he was praying while, after he came out of the water. And we're told that first the heavens opened and the Holy Spirit descended upon Jesus. And then we're also told that a voice from the heavens declares, You are my son, whom I love, which, I am well ple- which you, with you I am well pleased. So there's two things here that happen that's important for Jesus' baptism. And what they do is they actually change Jesus in fundamental ways. Or at the very least, they change the way that we should see Jesus. So first, the Father from heaven declares that Jesus is his Son. So God declares that Jesus is his Son he declares Jesus' relationship with him. So what this tells us is that Jesus is God's son, a very member of God's family. Now this is revolutionary. 
And I've said this before, we talked about um, adoption a couple weeks ago and being adopted into the family of God. The Jewish people did not talk about being children of God. They didn't talk about their prophets being children of God. They didn't have categories for that. They saw themselves very separate from God. Now Jesus comes and he says, I am the son of God. So what this means is that Jesus has a special relationship with the Father. A relationship that allows him to act on God's behalf. And also in a relationship that allows him to reveal God to his people. Now those are themes from Advent. So it's important for us to see that Jesus' baptism declares his relationship with the Father, that he's God's son. Now there's a second thing that happens. The Holy Spirit comes upon Jesus from heaven. So we're told that the Holy Spirit comes on Jesus like a dove. So the first question we might want to ask is, does this mean that Jesus didn't have the Holy Spirit before that? Now that's not a question we can answer, but I think what's more important is that with the, the Holy Spirit coming, it's a public declaration of who Jesus is. People saw the Spirit come. There can be no question that he was uniquely called to do something by God. So after the Holy Spirit comes on Jesus, it's not just a sign, but the Holy Spirit actually empowers Jesus. Now Luke demonstrates this in uh, chapter 4, verse 1, because he says, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. So the Holy Spirit is empowering Jesus, and then in verse 14, when Jesus returns from the wilderness, we're, we're told, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. And news about him spread throughout the whole countryside. So this second point is important. Jesus' baptism was an act of empowerment. When the Holy Spirit came upon him and changed the direction of his life. Because before this, Jesus was just a carpenter. He was just a guy in Nazareth working with his father. Or following in the footsteps of his father doing his family trade. But now he's been empowered by the Holy Spirit and his life changes forever. He makes a beeline to his, his calling, which eventually, as we know, leads him to Jerusalem and eventually to his death. So it's important for us to see that these two things happen during Jesus' baptism. All the Gospels record it, but I think we often miss it. And there's something else that I'm not sure that we know about baptism. I've said this before, but it doesn't mean you remember or that you were here. Baptism that John the Baptist did, we don't really know where it came from. There's not a lot of Jewish precedent for that sort of actions. The Jewish people didn't regularly baptize. They didn't really baptize. There was like one maybe thing that could have been when a convert became Jewish they did sort of this ceremonial cleansing. But it wasn't the way that we think about baptism. And the people that John the Baptist were baptizing were already Jewish people. So it's this weird thing that they didn't really do. But then Jesus decides to be baptized. 
And then what does Jesus do? He tells his disciples to baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So what this tells us that baptism is something important. Jesus did it, and then he wants all of us to do it. It becomes an important part of the story of God's people. Now here's the thing that we don't always notice. Jesus was baptized in the Jordan River. And there's a good reason to believe that it might have been the very spot where the Jewish people believed that Joshua led the Jewish people through the Jordan River. So John the Baptist is calling the Jewish people to re-enter the waters of the Jordan River to prepare for the Messiah to come. And then Jesus comes, enters the waters of baptism, or the waters of the Jordan River. And then he calls all of us, his people, to follow him into baptism, into those waters, to be brought out of those waters into the new kingdom of God. That's the retelling of the story. Jerusalem, or uh, Israel had to enter the waters of baptism to be saved. To be brought into their salvation, which was the promised land. We enter the waters of baptism to enter into the new kingdom of God. To follow the new leader of all of God's people. So baptism... It's something that we follow Jesus into. It's something that all of us do. And we've all done it either as adults or as children or as infants. We've all entered into baptism with Jesus. Now when we share in Jesus' baptism, we actually share in those other elements of his baptism too. When we're baptized, we enter the waters and we are we come out and we are declared sons and daughters of God. So baptism is an act of declaring our relationship with God as sons and daughters, following in the footsteps of Jesus. And then when we're baptized, we are empowered by the Holy Spirit to do the mission of the kingdom. It's very clear that the Holy Spirit is associated with baptism. And when people are baptized, the Holy Spirit comes upon them. So when we follow Jesus into baptism, we follow Jesus into his mission. And that mission we're empowered to do by the same Holy Spirit that empowered Jesus to do his mission 2,000 years ago. And then the most important and the thing I think we maybe overlook also is that when we are baptized, we enter into God's covenant people. Which is simply to say, when we enter baptism, we become part of the people of God. And God has made a promise to us as his people. And he will keep that promise as long as we remain faithful in following him. What this means is that in our baptism, we enter into the kingdom of God. So our citizenship 
is dependent upon entrance through water. And we become members of the family of God and we are empowered by the Holy Spirit. So this is what we don't always see. Through baptism, we become followers of Jesus and members of his kingdom. And it doesn't matter when we do this, if it's as an infant or if it's as an adult. Baptism is more than just something that we do because we're told to. When Jesus was baptized, God did things to him. He was declared his son. He was empowered by the Holy Spirit. Through baptism, we become followers of Jesus and members of his kingdom. So Jesus' baptism, like I said, retells the story of Israel. Just like Joshua led Israel into the promised land through the waters of the Jordan River to be a new nation many years before, Jesus leads the people of God through the waters of the Jordan into a new nation. His kingdom, where he is king. Through baptism, we become followers of Jesus and members of his kingdom. It is through baptism that we are declared sons and daughters of God and empowered with the Holy Spirit. And just like Jesus, we are changed forever in baptism. We are forever marked as sons and daughters. We are empowered by the Holy Spirit. And we are welcomed into God's people to follow Jesus as King. Through baptism, we become followers of Jesus and members of his kingdom. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you. And many years ago, your son entered into the waters of the Jordan River. And he was made clear to be your son, to be your chosen Messiah, to be the one who you called to deliver your people. And Lord, we're called to follow him into that baptism. And we're called to follow him into the mission of Jesus. To be followers of him. To be his representatives in the world. To be his body, to do his work as he guides us. Lord, may we not forget that we are sons and daughters of you. That we are members of your household. That we will one day share in the inheritance of heaven. And may we not forget that we are empowered by the Holy Spirit. So we don't have to do any of this on our own. But you live in us and give us the strength and the leadership and the guidance and the comfort to live in this world and to be an example of the gospel and to spread the good news that Jesus is king and that there's a new ruler in the world who loves and cares for all people. And God, we ask this in your son's name who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit 
one God, now and forever. Amen.